Welcome everyone from the DeFi Yield community. It is Michael here once again, and I'm super excited to have with us Chad from ThorChain. Those of you that don't know, ThorChain is a pretty unique project in the sense that, well, I'll let him explain it in more detail, but it facilitates this thing, which is cross-chain swaps and a bunch of other things to do with cross-chain. So if you're like me and you believe that none of the existing chains uh, is going to be, you know, the one chain to rule them all or something, you believe in a multi-chain future, then this is really important. And I think what's particularly interesting and important to me, which we'll discuss today, is right now, a lot of chains, if you want to swap between chains, really you do it through a centralized exchange. That's basically the way to do it. Uh, but ThorChain, you can eliminate that and do it in a DEX environment, which is really, really fantastic. So anyway, thanks for being here with us, Chad. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Maybe you can start by, I just gave like a brief little intro, but you can give a little bit more in-depth info about what ThorChain is, what the objective is, and how it works. Yeah, I mean, um, one way to think about it is that it is a uh, DeFi protocol that is chain agnostic. So it's not trying to convince everybody that ThorChain is the end-all be-all, so everybody needs to adopt ThorChain per se, uh, like a lot of other projects might be doing. It's really just, it's just saying, we're gonna support the ecosystem as a whole, like every ecosystem, every part, big, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, Binance, Ripple, Dogecoin, like whatever. From ThorChain's perspective, all these things are more or less identical, right? And so it just says, we can support any of these assets or any of these ecosystems and give them full access to any kind of standard DeFi protocol you might be thinking about. AMM, this is one concept, being able to provide your liquidity, your native L1, you know, layer one Bitcoin or your layer one Dogecoin or your layer one Ethereum and be able to supply it to this network to produce a yield, earn Bitcoin on your Bitcoin in a sense, uh, is like a super massive thing. So instead of ThorChain trying to create a horse and trying to get, or try to bet on particular horses, it bets yep. on the race of crypto. Like yep. it bets that it doesn't matter who, what horse wins or what horse loses, whether it's Ethereum or Terra or Solana or all these things, it just natively supports all of them, right? And it just, it's a, it's a much more uh, um, uh, inclusive way of thinking about supporting the greater ecosystem of crypto. Awesome, awesome. And so, uh, talk to us a little bit about how that works and what it does. I mean, one of the big use cases, of course, is cross-chain swaps and, you know, being able to swap your Bitcoin for Ethereum or something like that is obviously mm -hmm. a big use case, but I understand it does a lot more than just that. Yeah, so um, it's designed to be a really a DeFi protocol and abstracting away the complexities of a cross-chain consensus. In some sense, ThorChain is getting a consensus on consensus, if you want to get a bit meta about it, right? And so uh, once you have these, once you treat every asset in the ecosystem, in the greater ecosystem as the same, it doesn't have to be a native asset to ThorChain, um, it becomes doing whatever DeFi protocol you want becomes simple business logic, right? Like. You know, you can do AMMs, which is the first thing that ThorChain is uh, attempting to, uh, to, uh, to accomplish. You could do lending, right? You can do cross-chain lending. So you can get a Bitcoin loan and like, or a Dogecoin loan or whatever you want to do. Um, and even because you can provide your collateral as liquidity into the network, that collateral is yield-bearing for the lending. So theoretically speaking, you could actually 
get a Bitcoin loan and then never pay the Bitcoin back into the system because your collateral is producing yield, which is paying it back into the system to produce that income. Um, there's all sorts of things we can do uh, that no other chain can is easy, even viable for them to, 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 uh, to approach because of the core fundamental decisions made to make it to make every chain agnostic to the ThorChain's perspective. And so what are some of those things that ThorChain can do that no one else can even come close to doing? Uh, well, so do AMMs is, is the first thing, right? So you can't swap native Bitcoin for native Ethereum, right? On any other DEX in the world right now. You can do wrapped assets if you want to, but wrapped assets, a wrapped Bitcoin is not a Bitcoin, right? Any any Bitcoin Bitcoiner will tell you this. And that's true for a lot of reasons, right? Uh, we can dive into that if you want to, but you can't do lending across chain. And if you can, it's only for specific chains like EVM based chains, mm -hmm. even like uh, cross chain DEXs like Osmo, Os Osmosis, uh, really only supports, you know, a handful of uh, Cosmos chains. And it'll probably stay pretty, pretty static to those to Cosmos ecosystem and not, not the, uh, you know, the Dogecoin world or the Bitcoin world or, or, you know, the Monero world or like Zcash, I don't know, like all these other assets that are UTXO based. Um, because ThorChain is actually agnostic of all these assets, it can provide li liquidity, it can provide services, DeFi protocols in a way that no other pro project can do that right now. So getting into some of the details here. Mm -hmm. uh, so as I understand, ThorChain is its own chain. So it has its own consensus, its own everything that goes into being a blockchain, right? Yeah, uh, and it has a sovereign chain. Yeah. And it has its own native asset, which is Rune, right? Mm -hmm. And if I understand correctly, uh, what happens is you basically, rather than trying to do pairs of every different individual asset, every asset is just paired to Ruin. And so mm -hmm. basically by being able to swap into Ruin and then out of something else, you're basically using that as an interface. Uh, so you mm -hmm. can do something between say Bitcoin and Ethereum. So it's basically Bitcoin to Ruin, Ruin to ETH, uh, something like that. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. But what the important thing there is that you actually don't need to hold Ruin or buy Ruin or even have a Thor address or any of these things like the, the network itself is not trying to push Rune onto the world in a sense. Like you don't have to buy it, hold it, you know, trade it or any of these things. You can okay. walk up, sign a Bitcoin transaction. That's the only thing you have to do. Sign a Bitcoin transaction and you get Ethereum on the other side. Right? Yeah. That's really kind of an important thing. Like is we, like the, the, the community as a whole, it's not saying like everybody needs to buy and hold a Rune like, or yeah. you need to hold like You don't even need Rune as a gas asset on ThorChain, like even that's just like kind of mind bending in a sense, right? <laughs> yep, yep. And so like when you do a swap from like Bitcoin to Ethereum, you're right in that those two pools, you use Rune as other pair in those two pools. And so effectively what happens is you send in the Bitcoin, it trades it into Rune and then sends that Rune into the Ethereum uh, chain and then converts that Ethereum, let's say that Rune into Ethereum and then the Ethereum goes out the door to whatever, you, you know, OX address that you would specify to receive your, your Ethereum on or your USDC or your, you know, whether, whatever asset you're trying to pull out. And so it's all very transparent and it happens in the background, but like you're not actually interacting with any of those things really. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. That from a UI or UX experience, that's, uh, that's really fantastic. When you do that, so uh, basically if I understand then this is facilitated by the fact that uh, Ruin interacts with, let's just use Ethereum for an example. So there's like an Ethereum smart contract, which is connected to the Ruin network and the Ruin network knows about that. 
And so let's say Ethereum gets deposited into that, uh, that asset, that smart contract, right? And then there would be a smart contract of some sort, say on the Bitcoin side. Now, Bitcoin doesn't really support smart contracts the same way. So how exactly does that work on these different chains? Yeah, it's, it's actually, it's a little bit like counterintuitive in a sense, um, but the network does have a smart contract on Ethereum um, only because of the design choices of Ethereum itself and how ERC-20s work. In fact, mm -hmm. the smart contract doesn't actually hold any ETH in it. Actually, it holds just the ERC-20s. ETH is in a regular OX address, right? Okay. Like ThorChain is designed that, that all of its liquidity can be stored in a series of just like addresses mm -hmm. on some chain somewhere, you know, yep. of whatever asset we're talking about. So yep. for Bitcoin, it's just a, a, a Bitcoin address. Like mm -hmm. a regular, you know, BC one address that you, that holds some Bitcoin in it, right? Yep. Um, and that's the address that you would send, you know, Bitcoin if you wanted to swap to uh, Solana, right, or whatever your your uh, chain or asset of choices. And yep. on the other side is just a Solana address, right, that yep. has Sol in it, and it just like sends out some some Sol to whatever address that you wanted to receive on the other side. And so like. The example of Ethereum is just, it's an, an, an unusual aspect that there is a smart contract because ThorChain is not, doesn't actually need to have a smart contracting underneath it for it to function, unlike a lot of other DEXs or cross-chain solutions where it does require a smart contract, in which case, integrating with the UTXO-based chain like Bitcoin or you know, uh, uh, Dogecoin or whatever is not really viable. Right. Yeah. And so it becomes like you come become reliant on a specific requirement of those chains, like you know, EVM compatible, for example, that limits what you can have, can have access to. Whereas store yeah. chain is very different. It only real requirement that it makes is saying, like, can we manufacture an address? We just like create an address out of nowhere. I don't have to KYC this address or something like this. Yeah. As long as that is true, Thorchain can probably integrate with that chain so, with a high likelihood of certainty. So that's partially why it's chain agnostic is because it has such like very, 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 very minimal requirements on whatever chain it's trying to integrate with to be able to integrate with it. Cool. So, so let me ask you kind of a, a complex technical question that, um, so uh, recently Cardano came out with their smart contracts and just pre-launch, there was a bunch of FUD out there because uh, Cardano use is an extended UTXO model as opposed to uh, a, um, so it was basically you have these individual state rather than global state sort of uh, situation rather than account-based model. And uh, so there was a concern that this creates problems for doing something like an AMM on Cardano. You have to really rethink kind of the, the architecture behind it. Now here, you're mentioning doing an AMM model, uh, but you're doing it between <laughs> an account-based model in some cases and a UTXO-based model in another case. Uh, Absolutely. So maybe uh, maybe you can start by kind of explaining to our users what the difference is between the account-based model and the UTXO model, just for people who aren't familiar, and then uh, and then how ThorChain addresses that challenge, because that seems like it could be, maybe it's much easier than I think, but it sounds like it could be more complex. Well, it, it comes around the, the idea of what, uh, finality. Right, and so when you send a Bitcoin transaction and it gets committed to the Bitcoin uh, blockchain, is that final? Is that real? Is that a, you know? Can that be undone in some way in the future? And the answer is yes, it can be undone in the future. Right, that's why people talk about oh, we have to wait six confirmations before we consider this Bitcoin transaction to be like a real thing, quote unquote. Yeah. Whereas in other models, mm -hmm. like a Cosmos based chain like Terra, for example. Um, 
um, it has instant finality or Binance has instant finality. So as soon as a transaction happens, it's like done, it's happened. There's no undoing it. There's no redo or uh, a way of double spending or attacking a, a chain. And so that's like kind of the complexity of around, around using UTXO base is having a, the double spend a situation where somebody can get, you know, a bunch of computational power and then like undo a transaction. So if you are an AMM, for example, and somebody sends in some Bitcoin and then four blocks later, it kind of unsends it in a sense and, and double spends it back. Well, mm. then you just swap and you sent out some Ethereum on the other side of it, but you never really got, you don't have the Bitcoin that was sent in you to begin with. So now you're like, oh crap, now we're, now we're insolvent, right? Now we don't have as much Bitcoin as we should have. And we now we sent out the Ethereum, so that's already gone. And so <laughs> what are we going to do about that? And so yep. that's like, that's the complexity of using a UTX based model with an AMM is like, how do you unspend stuff? And normally within a chain, that's not a big, big deal because you can just like, you know, like change the accounting within the chain and, and like, yep. hey, it's no longer here. And now the, the Bitcoin's back here and it's more or less settled. But once you get into this cross chain world, well, I can't like unspend a transaction that the network sent on a, you know, on the Cosmos chain, like a guy or whatever. That's, there's no, <laughs> there's no ability to do that. So you <laughs> have to get that right. And that's part of the, the complexity and the difficulty of like doing this cross chain thing where you're integrating all sorts of crazy different models, whether it's an account-based model, whether it's a UTXO-based model, whether it's a, you know, a non-space system of accounting or some other form of accounting, or whether it's proof of history, proof of time space, proof of work, proof of stake, proof of delegate, proof of stake. All these things are give very different kind of uh, models that have different risk factors, different uh, ways of attacking it, manipulating it, changing these things. And so you need some abstraction layer, which is what ThorChain does to kind of like, we understand the attack vectors of Bitcoin. So what are we gonna do to, to defend the network from such attack vectors? And this other chain has these different attack vectors. So how do we mitigate these attack vectors? So it's a very, it makes ThorChain an extremely difficult and very ambitious project because it has to like interface with various consensus models that all have weird consensus like attributes in, in, in attack vectors that this network has to protect against all of these chains. Yeah, plus, plus so its own, right? Because the risk of all that, it's very theory, difficult to do. You have the risk of Thorchain itself as well. You could uh, set it up that somebody could attack Thorchain, or I guess sure, they sure. could attack the bridges. There are, a, whole, there are a, a hundred different ways you could potentially attack any chain, and, and Thorchain is no different in this sense, right? You could, you could like DOS it. You could, you know, there's all sorts of things you could, you could, uh, you could try. Yeah. And hopefully the modeling and the design of Thorchain is quite resistant to such things. But if it's not, some, make some code changes, improve the security, just like anything else in the world. So that comes down to an interesting question. Uh, there was a couple pretty notable hacks of Thorchain uh, not that long ago. What, what happened there? So in those attacks, uh, what the attacker was effectively able to do was to send in an asset on Ethereum, like ETH, for example. Yep. And, but not actually send it in. So trick the network to think that it received like 20 ETH or some number. In reality, it got nothing. And so, the, so the, the attacker had like had like a credit, so to speak, not really, but like kind of, mm -hmm. of like 20 ETH and then swap out some other asset on the other side. And so it convinced the network that it received assets that it never actually received. Mm. That was effective with what both of those attacks were just done in different 
different angles, right? Different attack vectors, different ways of manifesting the same, more or less the same result. Yeah. Um, so in response to that, the, the network was, uh, the community pushed for the network just to kind of put everything on hold. Let's do, you know, complete audits and these kind of things. And so the network's put on hold. Uh, several external teams were brought in to, to do some audits and security things like Hellborn and uh, Trail of Bits, for example, came in and did their audits. Neither one found any critical issues. Yep. Uh, internally, we did some more reviewing and more auditing within, within the team itself yep. um, and to find some more issues and patch those as we needed to. We also implemented new kind of blanketed security approaches so that even if you find another way of creating that same issue I was just describing, the network has solvency checks on the on the base layer there. So yeah. if the network becomes insolvent, it just goes, oh wait, we're supposed to have you know 300 ETH in the system, but we only have you know 280. Something is amiss. Let's just before transactions even occur and swaps go out and money is lost into the into the you know the ether, if you will, then let's just halt halt everything, fix the issue, fix the bug. You know, and then continue on, and everything is right. You know, in the world, in a sense. Same on the outside. Like when when transactions are sent outbound, the network can see uh, how much like volume is being pushed through the network at once. So if somebody tries to like attack the network and put through like ten million dollars like of like value through the network, the network will see that and then delay those transactions up to an hour. So that gives the community time to like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's like there's a huge volume of trades happening. Like let's look closer and investigate and. Is legitimate? Is it illegitimate? Is it you know an attack or is it not? And then if it's an attack, then the community can actually halt the chain temporarily, fix the, the bug and problem, kill those outbound transactions from even leaving the network to begin with, making sure that all the like liquidity is still you know perfectly fine and, and safe within the Thorchain protocol. Interesting. And so it seems to me as though if you're dealing with this very multi-chain, like security is a really tough thing in general, right? Like yep. I mean, we saw a bunch of chains that have had, you know, 51% attacks have happened on them. Uh, we've got all kinds of different discussions about different security modeling, like you're mentioning, et cetera. And so it seems to me like there would be a risk that Thor chain would only be as strong as the weakest chain, because otherwise I could, let's say that we're just talking about like a 51% attack, right? I could say, okay, well, I can't 51% attack Ethereum and I can't do it on Bitcoin, but oh, look, you know, this other chain over here, I can easily attack it. And based on doing that, I can go and I can transact with uh, this Thor chain contract and I can extract the value in Bitcoin or something like that. Um, is that accurate? Am I understanding this correctly? Yeah, that's, that's, that's largely accurate. So what chains get added to the Thor chain, what chains do not, has yeah. to take this into account, right? The network probably should not adopt some new chain that came out last month that is questionable, that is, you know, still being built and modified all the time. You have to wait until it's hit a certain level of maturity before it becomes viable. Because you're absolutely right. If the network said add this, you know, crazy chain over here, whatever that's called, and that chain gets, you know, um, you know, changed in some way or modified in some way that could actually become a, a, an attack vector on the network, that becomes a really big issue. There was actually an, an inadvertent attack on ThorChain earlier by the Bitcoin Cash uh, uh, chain because it, it modified the addresses of what where ThorChain was sending transactions because they had like an old mm -hmm. format yeah. and then like there's like a new format and so if you send it to the old format it converts it within the chain to the new format and like that's 
the new address, but that like kind of caused Thorchain to be like, whoa, what happened? Like, we're not sending out the funds, but it actually was, right? Like this kind <laughs> of craziness can happen. Things yeah. you wouldn't even think of, right? Like, like you know, Thorchain got dust attacked by, on Bitcoin, for example, by by a chain analytics company, for example. Like nobody would think of these things. They're, they're pretty kind of crazy in a sense. So yeah. you're absolutely right that you have to to be um, to that the, that Thorchain is only as secure as its weakest chain that it connects to, because I can create a threat. But even in the, like your example, of like 51% attack, that's actually okay from Thorchain's perspective because even if you allow like a chain like you know ECT for example, which had like a 51% attack that was like for like I was like I don't know something crazy. It was like 10,000 blocks or something like some huge number that was just like yeah. insane. But even if that was the case, that's actually okay because how Thorchain thinks about confirmation counting is different than what most exchanges think about it. So most exchanges have like a static number of like six confirmations, right? That's what you commonly hear. And they, even that number six confirmations came from a, a white paper that was written, or more accurately, a research paper was written in 2012. Well, this guy named, I think it was like Rose, Rosefeld, I think it was his name. And then he's like kind of analyzing Bitcoin. And he says in the paper, he says, you know, like it should work way for some confirmations. And like, I guess six is like a good number. Like, <laughs> like even if you read the language, it's, it's kind of funny because it's, it's not even like, you know, like, like mathematically or scientifically determined, like this is the number. It's just like, this guy just kind of like, yeah, like six or so, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and that changes, like that was written in 2012. And a lot of things have changed since then, right? For actually, sure, Bitcoin's yeah. more secure now than it was yeah. back in 2012. There's more computational power. And therefore six is actually kind of an, an overcast. A lot of exchanges that I know of that I talk to, they just like one conf or two conf because the idea of like undoing a transaction on Bitcoin right now is like, that's like super hard to do, right? Yeah. But Thorchain thinks differently about it. It doesn't, it doesn't have a hard-coded number on a per-chain basis. Mm -hmm. Instead, it looks at the block reward of a, of a per-chain. So you know, Bitcoin is like 6.25 uh, yeah. uh, Bitcoin per, per block, right? So if, you're, if the total amount of Bitcoin coming into the network is 6.25, then it just waits for that one confirmation. That's all you need. That's mm. Because if you wanted to attack the network and make a profit, you probably have to spend more money than the block reward would allow, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, or sp spend less money more accurately. So if somebody sends in like 10 Bitcoin, it effectively would cost two blocks or three blocks if it's, you know, 16 uh, Bitcoin or so forth and so smart. on. Smart, super that's, smart idea. Yeah, it, it's a much more um, aggressive way of actually doing, of protecting your network from a, a double spend attack than what most exchanges tend to do. And Thorchain has to do that because it doesn't have like, like it's not Coinbase and has this like massive treasury of like huge sums of funding that some, so that it gets like completely exploited in one form or another, just, just kind of like rests back on its laurels and just, you know, whatever, we'll just take it out of the money and like, like we don't want we, we want the design of Thorchain to not be like that and, and rely on some massive treasury to solve all the issues. Maybe yeah. that's true in the beginning while it's still kind of getting its feet and hardening and, and kind of like has that kind of slope in a sense. Yep. But on the long term, for Thorchain to exist in a thousand years or ten thousand years, it has to exist onto itself without like some individual running in the behind the scenes that's like using some massive treasury from some more multi, you know, like massive corporation. Like that's just not viable for like the long-term of like a DeFi protocol, right? So, um, so it has to have a much more um, measured and defensive approach to yep. how it handles like confirmation counting, for example. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it makes sense. It's perfectly, uh, perfectly smart. Uh, what's to prevent someone from just coming through and doing 
a bunch of transactions separately from different wallets or something to get around that. You say, okay. Well, it's not getting around that because it looks at the total sum of Bitcoin coming to the network, not so much okay. like the individual transactions. So okay. if you sent it and I sent it, like each sent three, you know, or four Bitcoin, then it'll, it'll wait two blocks before yeah. doing either one of our transactions. Yeah. So then if you're in a situation where you're trying to swap like a thousand Bitcoin, this is going to take a while. Is, uh, it is gonna, yeah, it's definitely going to go up. So if you do a thousand Bitcoin, which congratulations for being wealthy <laughs> as hell. <laughs> but, but if you're doing a thousand Bitcoin, it will take uh, quite a while, right? Even so just recently, the, the network just restarted on uh, Litecoin and Bitcoin Cash and also BNB as well. And the act of actually arbitraging the pool for like Bitcoin Cash, for example, took over mm -hmm. like three, four hours. Right. Okay. Because you, it, the network needed, I think it was like something like 400, you know, Bitcoin cash or whatever the, hell the number was to yep. get the pool correct, the pool price yep. correct. And it took, you know, many hours, like two or three hours, whatever the, hell the number was to actually get enough confirmations to yep. do it in part because like everybody is trying to arbitrage the, the pool at the same time. So you have like a massive quantity of Bitcoin cash like coming to the network more than the, what the network probably even needed. Right. Yep. Because everybody's trying to like arbitrage a pool and make that profit and make a bunch of money and yeah. all this kind of stuff. And so it took much more, it took much longer, right, yeah. to arbitrage that pool. Moving forward, though, once the network has what we call synthetics, yeah. we have synthetic Bitcoin cash. Yeah. That is done within the chain. So you can actually arbitrage the pools with synthetic, either with Rune on one side or synthetic Bitcoin cash on the other side. And so you can get instantaneous, like five second arbitration um, where you don't have confirmation oh, wow. blocks kind of stuff so it's really fast really like cheap and really efficient interesting interesting so talk to me about that how does that work what, Ooh, what does that sound <laughs> it's just I, was, I don't know if that was on the recording enough but that was interesting. <laughs> uh, so how does synthetics work so what's interesting about thorchain is that because it's amm is built in the core protocol right yep. it knows the value of every asset on the network right mm -hmm. every single it knows the value of bitcoin it knows the value of Ethereum and knows the value of Luna, right? And, or, or how are you getting that sold. information? Is that like, do you have a chain link oracle or what are you doing to? No, no, no. That's, this is one of the great things about ThorChain's design. There are no external dependencies. There are no oracles. There are no like, wow. this is actually a requirement of building a properly designed DeFi protocol is that you have no dependencies that they can screw you over in one form or another. You don't want to do that. That's a, in my opinion, that's just a non-starter. You've already failed in the white paper. Don't continue further. <laughs> so, what you so the network has like a Bitcoin pool, right? And yeah. if the price is inaccurate in the sense of Bitcoin's too expensive or Bitcoin's too cheap, either direction, yeah. it's an arbitrage opportunity. So somebody in the world can come in and say, okay, I'm gonna swap them with some rune to get out some Bitcoin and correct the pool price and make a little profit in the in the meantime, hmm. either direction. Mm -hmm. And so the community, the credit crypto community is constantly changing the Bitcoin price on the network to reflect yeah. what the market price actually is, what people are willing to buy and trade yeah, yeah, yeah. Bitcoin for. Yeah. So that means that the network knows the value of Bitcoin relative to room yep. at any given moment, any given second, and every single block. It's always true, uh, right? Smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if you get if you look at like a like a, a stablecoin pool, like the like you know Tether pool or the USDC pool, you know yep. the value of room to a dollar without yep. having any external dependencies whatsoever, which is really kind of cool. Yeah, that is. So once cool. you actually know how much room is a Bitcoin, for example. You can create a synthetic asset that 
that is backed by the pool itself. Like that it's collateral is the yeah. Bitcoin pool itself. So it's backed 50% by Bitcoin and 50% by Rune. Yep. And with that, you can create a synthetic asset that you can now, you know, synthetic Bitcoin, for example, and transact that on the chain with another person, like in, almost instantaneously. A five second block time is really fast relative to 10 minutes on Bitcoin, right? So right. it gives you like a lightning network like effect of, hey, I can transact something that has the value of Bitcoin really cheaply, really quickly, and really efficiently without having to wait, you know, confirmations or 10 block, minute block periods on this kind of stuff. Super interesting. And you can also do the stuff around like um, uh, arbitration, which I was talking before. And then you can also do some, some really cool stuff happening where you can take those synthetics and you can use what's called tranches to create um, fixed rate income on those synthetics. So you can walk up with your layer one Bitcoin or your yep. layer one Ethereum get 20% fixed rate interest on any asset of your choosing, not just like a specific asset that the network decides for you, right? Yeah. But literally any asset that you choose, you can walk up and get um, a 20% fixed rate interest. That's not something that's launched yet, something that's being worked on as part of synthetics that you yep. asked me about. Yep. Uh, but that's gonna be like super huge. I think people are gonna, it's gonna blow people's minds. It's like a savings account. like. You know how in savings accounts you get like 0.05% interest in yeah, it's yeah, like a absolutely. savings account, but with like crypto and in, it's instead of being 0.05%, it's like 20%, right? Like it's actually. A, so <laughs> so where, where does the 20% come from? Because that's always the big question, right? Yeah, 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 that's a good question. So it works by our tranches. Do you know what tranches are? Like yeah, explain, explain what it. those are. So tranches is, is when you have uh, two different groups of people. And so say you have a, a single source of income that's variable rate. Yep. Right, say like a Bitcoin pool, for example, and like the swaps that are happening, leaving liquidity into that pool. Yeah. So how much income that's making is like depending upon how many swaps there are and how big those swaps are and how frequently yep. they're happening. So you don't really know what the actual uh, income is per se. You can you can extrapolate over time and like a rest like a reasonable guess, but don't really actually know. Yep. And so two people might come up to this the situation and say, um, one guy might say. I want to make as much money as possible and I'm okay taking on additional risk. And if that means that that's what that means. And another person might come up and say, I want to make some income, but I want it to be more reliable about how much income I'm making. I don't want to be flip-flopping everywhere and, and, and all this kind of stuff. Right. And so that's effectively what tranches are, right? So one person saying, I want, you know, more risk, more reward. And one saying, I want less risk and, you know, less reward. Right. Yeah. And so you basically you're pinning these two people against each other so that, the guy that's saying, I want 20% fixed rate interest, his collateral that he's producing for the network probably yep. is producing more than that. For most pools, it's like 30%, 40%, 50%, something like this. Yep. Yep. And so, but he's only taking away 20%. Yeah. The rest of the 30% that he's not taking goes to the guy that says, I want, you know, higher risk, higher, you know, yep. Uh, yep. reward system. 30% gets donated to the other guy, right? Yep. And so yep. the LPers make like, have like basically have a leverage position. Like they're actually... They have more risk, you know, and they have more potential in permanent loss. And yep. the other guy does not have an permanent loss uh, yep. because it's only exposed to a single asset. Yep. Uh, and so, like, that's the, they're taking, so the LP is taking on the permanent loss potential. They're taking on, you know, the fluctuations of pricing more and all that kind of stuff. While the fixed rate person saying, I want single asset exposure, I want less reward, and I'm willing to do that, you know, for, 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 for having, my, having less reward for my less risk. Yeah. So isn't that dependent, though, on the demand uh, for providing liquidity? And if you get enough liquidity providers, that's going to drive the returns down. And then you're not going to be able to get, say, 20 percent fixed rate. 
Yes, so that's a good question. Excellent point. So how the network um, addresses this particular thing is that it limits the amount of synthetics that the network can have relative to the pool depth of, the, okay. of that pool. So yep. say it's like 30% limit. So you, you can't just mint synthetics all day and like have trillions of dollars and like have you know, unbounded income. Like, obviously that doesn't make any reasonable economic sense. Like, and we're certainly not saying it does. So that yeah. would be ludicrous. Yeah. So instead is the network says there's only can be so much synthetics that exists relative to the amount of liquidity in that pool. Yep. And therefore it can easily produce you know, more than it needs in terms of revenue to, to secure that 20%. In fact, even yeah. the income for that 20% is not necessarily given, taken from that pool. It's actually taken from the network as a whole. So all the pools combined together to make sure that all synthetics are paid. So that's kind of like, uh, has, a, has a kind of socialized aspect to it to ensure that everybody always makes that 20%. And it limits how many people can make that 20% by limiting the amount of synthetics that can exist on the network. That's super cool. That's uh, that's very interesting. So let, let's talk about impermanent loss. I know I was on uh, some of the Thor chain uh, uh, telegram threads for quite a while. I don't know if I still have them on or not, but uh, yep. there's of course quite a bit of talk about impermanent loss and how Thor chain deals with impermanent loss. So talk to me a little yep. bit about that. Yeah. So impermanent loss is interesting. Um, it's something that the community, like the crypto community, the DeFi community has been like talking about for a couple of years now. Um, everybody's, it's always like a hot button topic for some reason. Yeah. Uh, but in our analysis of ThorChain uh, and how it performs in the real world, uh, yeah. and we looked at over a year of economic data to support this concept, is that impermanent loss actually is not really a big problem if you're yeah. if you're in the system for a long period of time, right? And oh. So, in our analysis, if um, everybody stays, you know, as you know, in the pool for a hundred day minimum then less than 1% of people actually experience some kind of impermanent loss. It's a very, very, very small amount, right? And so because of that kind of, uh, that very low likelihood, uh, the network just said, you know what? The network has a reserve, which is basically like a bunch of room that's sitting there is, you know, is like un uncirculating uh, supply of room yep. that it can secrete as it needs to as part of block rewards or other purposes. And so like, the network will just, you know, if you get impermanent loss after 100 days, the network will just reimburse you uh, whatever you're deserving uh, relative to what you've lost, okay. and you walk away, you know, whole. You don't walk away with, you know, a negative per se. Right. Excellent. Um, that's like kind of a really kind of an, an interesting and, and important thing, right? Like, yeah. like you have to think about impermanent loss when you experience permanent loss because one value goes higher, one of the value of one asset goes higher than the other. Yeah. Then if it goes back to where it was, you experience no impermanent loss. That's why they call it impermanent loss, right? Because it goes up and down, it can fluctuate in one direction or the other. Yeah. What people don't realize, like not don't like think about it, is that like while you're producing income, the income is not impermanent. The income is more or less permanent. Mm -hmm. Right. Technically, if you want to get technical about it, the income is also can be can be um, subdued by impermanent loss itself as well. But it's mm -hmm. such a small amount, it's not it doesn't affect it that much. So like the income goes in one direction, but the impermanent loss fluctuates like this back and forth. And so as long as the income, you stay in the system long enough, the income will exceed whatever impermanent loss you might experience, right? Yeah. And like the Thor chain is less susceptible to this than other designs because the rune asset, the base asset in many respects operates in as a, like an ETF sort of, of like crypto in general. So as the market moves up, rune will move with it. And as the market moves down, room will move, move, move with it as well, right? And so if the Thor chain had did what like, 
you know, Chainflip's doing and using USDC as its, its like base asset, which I would highly suggest to the Chainflip people to please do not do this. This is a really bad idea. But you do not want to put your, 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 your base asset to be a stable coin because in a bull cycle, you're not going to be an impermanent loss. You're going to be permanent loss because, because the market's going to keep on going up, 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 up. And you're going to experience more and more and more and more and more impermanent loss. And that's really not what you want. Even in a bear cycle, same thing. Bear cycle, same thing. doesn't matter which direction the market's moving. So it's really a bad idea to have a stable coin be like the, the base pair of any of all your pools because then they all, all experience a significant amount of permanent loss over the long, over the long haul which is you really don't want to do that. That's a really bad idea. That's great. That's, I was actually going to ask that question because I was talking to somebody the other day and they were saying, oh, you know, they were using a stable coin as a base pair. And, you know, there's a reason that it uh, sounds intuitively smart, but yeah, it makes good sense when you explain it that way. Yeah, you, you will naturally have more permanent loss with a base asset. I mean, unless your other asset is like, you know, another stable coin, in which case you have basically no impermanent loss because both assets are staying the same price at all times. And that's what Curve does, right? And does it really well, right? And it makes sense in that context. But you're not going to put Bitcoin with like USDC. So that, that's just going to be like, you're going to get wrecked. Effectively. <laughs> <laughs> it's just inevitability that it doesn't matter when you buy and where you, like, you're just going to get wrecked. <laughs> Yeah. Now, so when people want to, because people can provide liquidity to, and they can stake, uh, stake their rune, etc. Do they need to do it with uh, rune plus another pair, or can they just put straight rune and? No, they can. So the network actually supports single side liquidity, right? So you can just provide Bitcoin. You don't even, like I said, you, like the network doesn't force anybody to hold rune or buy rune or like buy into the concept of rune. Like you don't actually even have to do that. So if you have Bitcoin. Or you have room, it doesn't even matter which one of the two. You can provide liquidity on just the single side, right? Mm -hmm. And and provide liquidity on the Bitcoin side, right? And then later on, when you come back and you've made some um, some um, some uh, yield from that, you can go ahead and withdraw and with more Bitcoin coins than you had to start with, right? And the same thing on the rune side, you can do just the rune side. There's like the caveat to that of like if the pool is balanced between yep. the rune and the Bitcoin, yep. and you throw in a bunch of Bitcoin, yep. well, okay. The network needs this rune in order for it to be balanced. So if you don't provide the rune, somebody else will, which is what we call arbitrage bots. So they'll yeah. put in a bunch of rune and yeah. take out a bunch of Bitcoin at yeah. your cost. Yeah. So you hit, you start with a hit effectively. If you do single-sided, you start with a small hit, but like you stay in the pool long enough that that hit becomes nothing because you just make you know income on your Bitcoin and then make beyond the initial uh, investment and then you keep on making more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, we've talked a little bit, well, actually, let's do one more thing, which is, uh, how does Ruin handle bridges? Because bridges from a security standpoint are often a, a concern. You see some of these bridges that it's like, oh, it's an eight-party multi-sig, and it's all controlled by, you know, a few people in the <laughs> tech group, and, you know, stuff like this. So how does, how does Ruin handle, or how does ThorChain handle? Yeah, so in terms of um, uh, bridging the or, or like taking ownership of liquidity or securing the liquidity, um, so anybody in the world can become a ThorChain validator. Mm -hmm. um, it requires a high degree of technical expertise and it requires a high degree of capital to do it, but it is, anybody can do it and, and everybody is anonymous. So it's not, we're not uh, asking anybody to expose their identity. We wouldn't uh, even, I wouldn't suggest you should, probably should not. Uh, and so anybody can become a validator who wants to become a validator. So there's no like cabal of individuals who like control the chain. Like, and then there, there are bridges who do this and, uh, and, yeah. and then in the same breath, they say they're decentralized, but like 
we control everybody who owns like it. No, no, no. <laughs> that's, not, that's not how decentralizations work. You don't just say me and my friends are running the bridges, therefore it's decentralized. No, no, no. That's not how decentralization works. Yeah. I, I I apologize, but that's just not how it is. Yeah. Some bridges do this, and that's yeah. as that's not what Thorchain does. Uh, so Thorchain says anybody can become a, a, a validator. It doesn't matter who you are, where you live, uh, as long as you provide the capital, provide you know, do a good job uh, running a, a node. And so all these nodes come together to to do something called what's called a threshold signature, which is kind of like a multi-sig. It's conceptually the same, uh, but it has some very important technological or cryptographic uh, details that are, are really uh, actually quite huge. But <laughs> effectively, everybody comes together to secure those assets and, and does a, a multi, really large multi-sig that is shared across. Right now, there's like 38 validators in the network. Um, it, it grows two validators every term, which happens to be three days. And so, uh, you know, and with a given enough time, um, you know, come back in six months, there'll be over a hundred or something like this uh, validators in the network. And they can grow as high as whatever tenement allows, like the actual Cosmos chain underneath it. So it can probably get to like 150 or 250, like somewhere in that range somewhere. We'll find out uh, probably in about a year or so how large it can get before it starts to slow down the block times. Um, but I'm thinking we'll probably get to like 150, maybe 200 validators in the network, uh, all managing this, these assets in a um, cryptographically, but also economically secure way. Oh, cool. And then, so what we've talked about here is all stuff that is basically other assets using Thorchain to interact with each other, right? What about building things on Thorchain? Sounds like these synthetic assets would actually be just like released on Thorchain. Is that right? Yeah, the synthetic assets is a native asset to Thorchain, but um, hypothetically, they can be used to, um, you can use IBC um, to beam those assets to other Cosmos chains to do whatever you want. Like if you want to build like a, a perpetuals or a, a you know, uh, a derivatives exchange and you want to access to, you know, the, the Bitcoin, you know, not so much the Bitcoin asset itself, but the, the value of a Bitcoin in a sense, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You can do that. And so you can, you can trade on a, a Cosmos chain, a derivatives exchange with synthetic Bitcoin or synthetic Ethereum and have that the same price exposure as if you have you know, an actual Bitcoin or an actual Ethereum. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That'll be pretty interesting. Um, the, so that, that the Thorchain community will contribute to the Cosmos ecosystem in that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so tell me about kind of from an architecture standpoint of Thorchain. Is it a proof of work chain? Is it a proof of stake chain? Is it how, uh, what, how does finality work? How does the consensus work? Yeah, so it's a it's a it's a cosmos chain right and so it's a, it's a proof of stake chain people and people are staking with rune as that asset yep they're putting up as as, as bond and on their validator nodes it's not and this is really important it's not delegated proof of stake that's what you know guy effectively does this um where it's a delegator that's actually uh, from our de design perspective that actually doesn't make sense for the security of the network because delegated proof of stake only leads to centralization, right? Yeah. All roads of delegation always leads to form of centralization. And it actually can make the the, the um, assets underneath like the Bitcoin and the Ethereum and all these assets insecure if you allow a delegated system because it allows somebody to, be, to get enough capital to attack the network without putting the capital in that's needed to attack the network. And that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Economically yeah. insecure if you were to do that. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, and so how many transactions can it handle? You, you seem to imply like five second block time or something like this or how does it? Yeah, I think it's like, 
um, few hundred. Like, like Thorchain itself actually limits the number of swaps artificially on the network um, to I think a hundred per block, okay. which is our, every five seconds, five or six seconds or so. It's completely artificial and that's there just to create competition so that um, you can't uh, MEV attack Thorchain um, and like you can on Ethereum mm -hmm. um, because there's an, that everything gets, that's every swap is put into like a queue effectively, mm -hmm. like a swap yep. queue. And yep. that queue is not like a first in first out system like, like you see in most indexes, for example. It actually arranges those swaps based upon the ones that have the most value to the network, meaning that the highest, the, the larger swaps, the larger volume of swaps, because that produces more yield, like more, you know, income for the for the validator Interesting. for the validator network and the LPs. So, you can't actually manipulate uh, Thorchain through a MEV attack, and so it puts everything to a queue and it only does like a hundred transactions per block. Now the network is like not hasn't even come anywhere close to like a hundred transactions in a yeah. block. That's that's like more transactions than like the entire Bitcoin block space, the entire Ethereum block space, the entire Bitcoin cash block space. That like it's, yeah, it's such yeah. a large quantity that like you yeah. would probably, you won't see that for at least a few years or so, uh, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. But it, it can handle basically filling out the, the entire block space of like the top maybe four or five or six chains or so. Yeah. It's still hand that like no problem. Yeah, cool. So just a quick little explanation for our uh, our listeners here who don't understand. So uh, MEV is MEV, so minor extractable value, or sometimes a maximum extractable value. And it's a big talk in the world of Ethereum right now, because basically by reordering the, uh, the transactions, you can gain extra value, essentially. And so what you're saying is that in the case of Thorchain, the order of transactions is based on the size of the transaction. Uh, not like some extra fees or something you've paid where you can pay a bunch of extra gas in order to get your transaction in there before somebody else's transaction. Is that right? Yeah, actually a great example of this is that uh, when the network was like restarting Bitcoin Cash, for example, right? Yep. To, to arbitrage, that's like an opportunity to make some money because the, the pool yep. price is incorrect, right? Yep. And so let's just say that I knew ahead of time, right? That that was going to happen. And I wanted to like, do some insider trading, if you want to call it that, right? To, yeah. to manipulate and like get that, like, I want to get that money before anybody else. Actually, I couldn't actually do that on this network. The only way I can do that is by making the highest bid, yeah. which is not really like insider trading at that point. It's just like, he just used the system as it's designed to be used. And like, he just made the highest, the highest swap, like the biggest yeah. Bitcoin cash transaction. Yeah. If I had like done that, like somebody else could just outdo me in a following block or something like this. And just like, you know, it's outdo my transaction, and then I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. like, yeah. like it's designed in a way that you can't like insider trade or like mev attack it or any of these things. Like, I just have no ability to do that kind of stuff. And that's that's like actually really kind of a cool like design. Feature, that is, right? yeah, yeah, it's a super super cool thing. So, uh, I'm thinking about this a little bit compared to something like Icon. Icon again has kind of a multi-chain thing, but their idea, of course, is that you're going to build smart contracts, say, on the Icon network. Um, is the idea that eventually people will build things like smart contracts on the Thorchain network, or is it more to actress? Uh, so that's something that's still being discussed uh, in the community. There's a notion that Thorchain, um, well, so my feeling is that Thorchain will never actually support smart contracting directly. And the reason why that is, is because 
but I don't want to repeat the, the mistakes of Ethereum and try to put like everything onto like a single block and a single pipeline. Yeah. That's just a, from, a, from a design perspective, from an architecture perspective, that doesn't actually make a whole lot of sense because you just, the more stuff you try to put into this pipeline, you're just going to create more tension and like more yeah. problems like downstream. And that's what we're seeing now with Ethereum. Like everybody's trying yeah. to use the same pipeline to do all things and just yeah. like, hey, wait, this isn't working out. It's like, well, obviously, right? <laughs> it's not going to work out. So, like, so, so the intention, at least my thinking about, it is that that the only um, uses of Thorchain will 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 be using the liquidity pools directly. Like that's liquidity pools. It's it's like bread and butter. And if it, if it's an app, a DeFi app protocol that can use those those liquidity pool protocols, that makes makes sense. Yeah. But if people wanted to build smart contracts on Thorchain, it actually is feasible to build those smart contracts on other chains. And then utilize the liquidity of Thorchain directly, right? Which is a really kind of a wacky idea yep. to us, like you know, DeFi people. But it's actually completely practical. And that's basically like because Thorchain is cross-chain, right? It can connect to any chain the same it can to itself. In a matter of speaking, it doesn't actually matter where you deploy anything because you can potentially connect into Thorchain, even though your smart contract is on Ethereum or it's on yeah, it's Solana super or it's on yeah. like. Terra, it yeah. actually doesn't matter. And so what ends up happening is you provide liquidity into Thorchain. Let's say you, you put a bunch of Bitcoin to the Bitcoin pool, you get some like LP units, like some like you own part of that pool. And then you just tell the Thorchain network, send my LP units over to the Ethereum smart contract over there. Yeah. And then they receive the, L, the LP units, that smart contract over there. And they, they just know that it came from like me and my, my Bitcoin address or whatever that yeah. might be, right? Or yeah, yeah. So then like it has its own accounting of like how much LP units it has for various people and it can do whatever it wants to do. It can do some trading. It can do some like, you know, inject uh, uh, derivatives again or something like this. Like, does not matter? It can do casino. Like who cares, right? You can literally yeah. build whatever the hell you want with it. And from Thorchain's perspective, oh, it's just that contract has all these units, but doesn't have an understanding of who owns what or how much of what or any of these things. So then when, once that person's like done and says, okay, I'm, I'm ready to pull out of the system, it queries that, that smart contract on Ethereum and says, hey, give me back my LP units. And it says, cool. And then it sends a transaction to Thorchain saying, I'm releasing these LP units from yeah. myself and I'm giving it to this person over here with this BC1 address or the store address, whatever it is. Yeah. And then they get whatever profit or loss they made in that period of doing all this transacting on, on Ethereum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like kind of a crazy notion like to, to like DeFi to blow people's mind. Like I run a smart contract on this chain, but I'm actually getting this liquidity on this other. Like yeah. that's a crazy notion. It is, but it is. It's super cool idea. on Thorchain's design uh, schematics. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really exciting actually, the ability to do something like that. That's uh, very, very fascinating. Um, cool. And so, then what other things are coming up for Thorchain? You were mentioning uh, you've got uh, the synthetic assets, you've got uh, lending. How does lending work on, on Thorchain? What's the idea there? Yeah, lending is uh, not conceptually too different than what you see elsewhere. Is It's just agnostic to what those assets are that you're lending, right? And so what's really interesting about um, uh, Thorchain is that you can provide liquidity, let's just say it's Ethereum, for example, into the Ethereum pool, and then use those that, that ownership, that pool ownership as your collateral for like a Bitcoin loan. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, makes sense. And makes so sense. because you're, the collateral you're using is a yield bearing collateral, yeah. you can use the income from that collateral to pay off the Bitcoin loan that you took out. So you can never have to pay back the Bitcoin loan, which is actually pretty cool, right? Yeah, absolutely. And what people, 
don't quite realize yet. And I'm not a tax advisor, so you know, don't take my word for this. Talk to your tax accountant, whatever. But uh, the U.S. government, from my understanding, does not actually tax a loan. Uh, it's actually a non-taxable event, right? Yeah. So if you had, say, you had some like Dogecoin, for example, yeah. you can take your Dogecoin, provide yeah. us capital to Thor chain, take yeah. an out Bitcoin as a as a loan, yeah. and provide Bitcoin into like something like BlockFi, right, to yeah. get a USD loan, like an actual physical fiat currency Super interesting. USD loan. Yeah. And then you've extracted your your Dogecoin into U.S. dollars without paying any taxes in a completely legal and legitimate way. Like that's actually kind of a really fascinating idea, right? That is also because really Thorchain is chain agnostic and asset agnostic, they can provide a loan on any asset that you choose, right? And so yeah. that's yeah. actually like a huge thing of like, you can actually uh, not pay taxes on your crypto just by using Thorchain along with like a BlockFi like service yeah. to the, the USD part of things. Yeah. Like, and that's pretty cool, right? And again, like, amazing, I'm not yeah. a tax attorney, so don't like <laughs> take, and I'm not a financial advisor or any of these things, so please don't take my word for it. Do your Super own research on all these things. But um, I, 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 this is my, at least my understanding how it works. And so that's, that's a really kind of like fascinating use case for ThoughtChain, not paying taxes in a completely legal <laughs> way. Yeah, yeah. What are, what are the borrowing rates like right now? On uh, Or do they have that uh, yet? The foreign rates, you said? Bo borrowing, borrowing rates. Because, of course, that's the thing, oh, right? You the don't pay tax, rates. but you're paying a borrowing rate. So, so. Yes, yes. The rates uh, has to be, we haven't figured out what that's going to be quite yet. Uh, we're still kind of working that out. Most of the interesting thing is that um, the borrowing rates for something like an Ave, right, is relative to the amount of liquidity that it has versus what it borrowed out. And so that causes the, the interest rate to go higher or lower so that it doesn't yep. run out of an asset effectively. Exactly. But yep. because ThorChain is actually an AMM, it never runs out of an asset, right? So if it <laughs> gives a Bitcoin loan, so I, I gave you like five Bitcoin, right? In a yep. loan or whatever, it's an AMM. So that means that there's all the, Bit, the Bitcoin went five, you know, five down lower, but the room yep. is still the same, which means the pool's in balance, which means somebody's gonna provide Bitcoin and to get the rune out to arbitrage the pool and the Bitcoin that we loan out effectively gets put right back into the pool. Very <laughs> interesting. So yeah, yeah, that's super, that, super interesting. Very different approach. Super important, right? So now you have a situation where you don't have to give loan interest based upon, you know, capital because there's effectively an infinite amount of capital that can be put back into the network whenever a loan does get given out, right? Yeah, yeah, so, that's... With that, it's actually feasible, and we're still working out the math of all this stuff. So don't quote me here. It's still, it's a, this is like six months or nine months down the road. But, but because of that, you can actually do fixed rate income on a on a on a collateral, which mm -hmm. you cannot like properly fixed rate. Like actually, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. That, yeah, that's actually possible and feasible. Which again, this is another example of something that Thorchain can do that almost no other protocol is, is aligned to be able to, to actually yeah. accomplish. Yeah, it's really, really because unique. Because of the really, AMM really model powerful. that it has, right? Yeah. yeah. So that that's like huge. Like I can give a, I, I can actually like, you know, get a loan out to buy a house, for example, right? Lock myself into like some interest rate that is, you know, whatever that's going to be. But I know that's going to be for the next like thirty years. I don't want. I'm not going to wake up tomorrow like I would on like Ave or like Compound, and all of a sudden the interest rates. Oh, I got, it's like a like 25% interest or so this skyrockets like one day and then it's like yeah. kind of keep your finger on the pulse and it's like, <laughs> fucked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, absolutely. like, I don't want to do that. That's too stressful for 30 years to watch the, you know, the Ave interest rates and just get fucked one day. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to yeah. do that. That doesn't yeah. seem like a good idea. So instead, we're just like, I can lock myself into, you know, a fixed rate in, in interest rate. And then I don't even care about that 
even that I don't care about so much because my uh, collateral is interest yielding, right? It's, it's yeah. yield collateral. So it, it'll just start paying off that loan anyway. So yeah. Yeah. some things we can do on this protocol that again, like that nobody else can possibly originally do. And like, it's, it's like, that's one example. That's an amazing example. That's uh, that's really fantastic. No, I, I like yeah. it a lot. What, uh, what chains are currently supported by ThorChain? It's five chains. So that's uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, and BNB chain. Not Binance Smart Chain, uh, BNB chain. Yep. Those five chains together mm-hmm. is like, I think it's like 92 or 91% of like the total crypto like liquidity. If you like, if you, if you sum up all the market caps versus like crypto market cap, mm-hmm. which is like that by itself is like a huge thing because if you have like a DEX, an Ethereum based DEX, right? Like, yeah. like uni or whatever, you only have access to like 25% of the liquidity of like crypto, which is like Ethereum yeah. and ERC 20s. And that's basically it. Like it's yeah. all you have access to, right? Yeah. And it's like a small shred of the greater ecosystem of like crypto, right? Sure, Even yeah. with those just five chains, you already have access to like 92% or whatever the hell the number is of like all of crypto, which is like, even that is like huge, right? Yep. And so every chain that's added after, like Dogecoins are actually, the COVID Dogecoins are already created, for example. So we'll add Dogecoin at some point. Binance Smart Chain is a fork of uh, Ethereum. So that's really easy to add. And, it was, and we can start adding chains like crazy. Eventually we'll get to like 99 point something percent of like the crypto um, world. So like, if you want to trade from like, you know, asset a on chain x to asset b on chain y there's like a 99.8 something percent chance that like thor chain already supports that trade so you don't even have to like go searching through all these different you know decks around here and there to find it all right it's like a 99 percent chance thor chain already supports it so like you can you're already set <laughs> yeah yeah that's fantastic and does it work so you would still have to have every say ERC-20 asset in a liquidity pool to swap directly into it. Otherwise you would have to say, let's say you want, you can't just go Bitcoin to uni token. You would have, unless somebody is staking uni with Thor, with Rune, you would have to go Bitcoin to uh, Ethereum, Ethereum to uh, uni, is that right? Uh, No, no, actually you would actually, because there's an Ethereum, so there, if there's a uni like pool on ThorChain, you can just go like Bitcoin to uni. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is if, if you didn't have a, a pool on- uh, If on... you didn't have a pool, and it, say there's some like small cap ERC-20 that you wanted to have access to, and it's yeah. not on ThorChain, then yes, you have to swap to, you know, Ethereum and then send that Ethereum into like, you know, Uniswap or some yeah. long tail asset exchange like like that uh, to, to gain access to it. ThorChain like has a more strict version of how it manages assets in terms of like, how assets get added. Like I think on uni, it's like, I think it's more or less basically free to add any assets you choose, including like, you know, malicious and scam tokens, which we've seen that in the past yep. a few times, just yep. a few times. Just a few, yeah. But like third chain uh, actually has a minimum of like 10,000 rune that must be put into that pool before it can actually let into the network in a proper way. Okay. So it has a, has a capitalistic requirements to make it, yep. to make it, it only wants to maintain pools that are like have liquidity that actually have yeah. trade volume that actually have like give economic value to the to the greater you know ecosystem right. yeah. doesn't really give e- economic value then like it's not worth the network's time to, to to add and manage those assets and and like and secure them and all these things just just yeah. not worth it and so the network just kind of has a capitalistic system that people combat each other to figure out what is the next 
uh, asset to be added to the network, which happens yeah. like every three days. Like every three days is like, like a battle, an economic mm -hmm. battle between you know these five assets and the one that has the most room and depth in the pool is the one that gets pulled into the network. Totally, yeah. Is there plans to add anytime soon something like Monero? Yeah, Monero has been actually worked on for a long time. Uh, Monero is a really hard one to interface with because of its rig signatures and its, you know, its privacy. Yeah. Um, that makes it really hard for the network to know when a transaction happens because like yeah. it's secret. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that kind of creates complexities where like, how do we, you know, know when somebody sends us money or when one of the different types of vaults sends out funds either legally or illegally or like legitimately or non-legitimately. Non so that creates a lot of complexities for the network, but um, um, the team has been working with the Haven team for actually quite some time. And I think we have an implementation that's actually practical and might work. Um, we put that in the back burner because we've been focused on more important things in the last few months. Yep. But uh, I think adding privacy coins like Monero, like Zcash, like yep. Um, yep. Dash or maybe whatever uh, privacy coin is your, your thing of choice. Uh, is completely practical and, and probably will happen at some point for sure. Um, and it can't get really like delisted the way that like, you know, privacy coins. Exactly. Like, yeah. This, that's what I was asking this, about, this yeah. is like the perfect exchange for like Monero. Like this is like Monero's like you know, uh, yeah. hard on dream, like just to interface <laughs> with something like with Ethereum, uh, sorry, with a, uh, with a ThorChain because it's an exchange that can't really be delisted in the traditional sense. Like, like we yeah. saw what happened to Ripple when it got like investigated by the SEC, right? A few months ago. Like Coinbase dropped them. If you had Ripple on the exchange, like you didn't, you couldn't even pull it out. And like, you know, all these things, it's like overnight, everybody just dropped Ripple. And yeah. like, that just kind of like, you know, think what you want to think about the, the token itself, about Ripple. But like, I think that cheesed all of the crypto industry oh, right. off. Like everybody's yeah. just like, oh, I don't know. It's like, it's, let's not just delist and something just because, you know, a certain individual in the, the SEC doesn't like it. That's just, it goes against the ethos of like crypto. Exactly. Right? Don't let these, exactly. these powerful yeah. men in white suits, you know, you know, in white shirts and, and and whatever, to like command upon the crypto industry what they can and cannot do. Like, that's just not the mentality of crypto, right? And so, yeah. what would it, what would have happened if like you know Ripple was investigating SEC and Ripple was on Thorchain? Like, would that would it have changed the calculation about like the that asset, right? Because people oh, that asset like this dived in price and legitimately it's like you should dive in price because it's like it's all the exchange were dropping in like crazy and if you can't exchange an asset for another asset then it's not money it's not an asset it's not it's not something that's transferable therefore it's not anything of value whatsoever totally. yeah so what if Thorchain supported ripple and then then that happened and then like maybe the price wouldn't have dipped as much maybe if people say like that's fine if if, if Coinbase wants to drop Ripple, I'll just trade my Ripple for Bitcoin and then send my Bitcoin on Coinbase. And then like, then what? Then I'm okay, yeah. right? And that changes totally. like the calculus like quite significantly, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. And so. the same thing for Zcash. We've been talking to Zoku uh, over at the Zcash team for a while and, and they're like totally game to, to integrating with ThorChain and, and we're totally game for integrating with them for sure. And that's something that will likely happen sometime in the nearest future to have like Zcash, you know, being able to, and that one's like easy to interface with because it's got like to UTXO, it's a fork of, of uh, Lucky Coin, I think. No, that's the, that's, that's Dogecoin. But like, it's a, it's a, it's a UTXO based model that, and it, it has two different types of addresses, T addresses and Z addresses. And as long as we just interface with T addresses, we'll be fine. Like, and it's not really, you know, that, nice. that, more, that more difficult than Bitcoin. It's actually quite simple, right? But you still have that access to, to secrecy if you want it. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Awesome. 
Well, if people uh, are interested in, you know, getting involved or anything, uh, what, how does it work with being involved with the community? Is there a way to contribute to the project? Is there, how does, uh, how does this all work? Oh, of course. Uh, so you can always find more information on Thorchain.org. There's a Twitter account uh, at Thorchain. There's a Discord, probably the best place. Jump into the, the Discord. Uh, start, you know, say hello and all this kind of stuff. Um, there's lots of projects out there that are contributing to, to the Thor chain. Like even the treasury that the, that the project has is the majority of that money going out is going out to, you know, community members who are just building cool things on top of Thor chain, right? Like, the, yep. So like, it's actually a really good and, and well-funded system. So even if you have an idea or something you want to build, like some cool dashboard or some cool, you know, thing you want to build on top of Thor chain, reach out, we might even fund you, you know, depending upon what Perfect. you're trying to build and how brings value into the, the, the greater community sounds fantastic well thanks for coming and uh coming and joining with us and uh i love the enthusiasm this is like an exciting project and you're obviously super excited about it so that's uh, that's fantastic <laughs> i have every right to be super excited about this Absolutely. thing I, like, no. it's, uh... this thing like uh, why it's so important in my, my opinion is that it's not just a cool thing to have a cross-chain exchange it's not just like something fun necessary. to build it is something that is completely utter necessary for the yeah. entire crypto ecosystem. So agree, the yeah. entire ecosystem, whether you're a Bitcoin maxi or you're like something on the op opposite side of that, it does not matter. We should all be voting for, for Thorchain or something similar to it to like yeah. thrive and be successful and provide peer-to-peer -peer transactions, you know, across chains or peer-to-pool in our case. But I will, I'll get away from the technical technical aspects to it, but like we should all be rooting for something like this to exist because it has to exist to one of us have our, our complete sovereignty with with ourselves. Like otherwise, we're gonna be relying on Binance that gets across chain, which is like nobody wants that. I mean, not even Binance probably wants that to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I heard Binance actually was a pretty big supporter of uh, of Thorchain. So, heard who? Uh, Binance. I'd heard they were a pretty big supporter of Thorchain. Oh, for sure. Like. The, the original Rune token was originally a BEP2 token on the Binance chain. Uh, yep. They were the first ones to list, uh, one of the first ones to list uh, like the Rune token on their exchange. So they've always been a big supporter of the project, which is great. Uh, yep. And I think they want to see Thorchain su succeed in, in its own way, for sure. Like, I think everybody wants to see this thing succeed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks, Chad. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate you coming out and sharing all these details. I'll be excited to follow on. Uh, if people don't know, there is at least two telegram channels for Thorchain. One is an announcement channel. And it seems like you guys have announcements pretty regularly. That was one of the things that I liked about it was, it was like there's always updates with new things, et cetera. Yeah. And I know uh, there's been people who commented on one of the things that's worked really well with Thorchain is the transparency of the team, what's going on, et cetera. So fantastic. Yeah, we've always really pushed on uh, radical transparency as much as possible. Like. Every as much as things we can put public, we probably will. Like even the treasury itself is a is public knowledge. We every monthly we give a, a report on how much money's in there and how much Bitcoin and how much Ethereum, how much Arun is held in the treasury and all these things. So like we push for radical transparency as much, 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 much as possible. Um, all code is open source, MIT license, every PR is available for anybody to review and read and comment on if they want to. Like um, we I actually remember there's actually was a uh, somebody wrote a PhD or, um, thesis on Thorchain about how trans how it's been one of the most transparent projects in crypto, and nice. I just said in that this is like a true thing. I actually said in the article like that that the Thorchain is actually one of the like shining stars in a sense of like transparency of how much transparency this this project 
gives to the greater community is like quite significant relative to a lot of other projects. Totally, totally, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. And yeah, maybe we'll do another conversation in the future. Guys, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Go and uh, go and check out ThorChain. Uh, we didn't really mention, but there's something called Asgard Dex is a name you can look up with respect to uh, to ThorChain. And so yeah, really, uh, really interesting. So play around with it and see how it works. Yeah, Asgard Dex is a free web uh, wallet. Anybody can download, completely open source. There's other wallets like ThorSwap, for example, and other ones being built around it. So you can download whatever ones you feel comfortable with or you like or whatever doesn't really matter to me. Uh, but it's all open source and that's one of the key components here. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And we will talk to you soon. Peace.